Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this night. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord God, that we can come together. And Holy Spirit, where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in our midst. So we thank you, Father. Pray that your word goes forth boldly and accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you want to open your Bibles, open to Judges chapter 6. A couple weeks ago, we went there. And while you're looking for that, give a little commercial. So a couple weeks ago, I talked about um, how I'd gotten a couple old books out and started to read them, ones that I'd read back in the early 70s. Well, for whatever reason, I just had a hankering to read these books. And then Mike Plain was here. He made a comment, and I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something about the wisdom of the ancients. We can apply it to today. And for whatever reason, I've just gotten really into reading these books. These books were, the one I told you about, I think, uh, before was They Speak With Other Tongues. It was written by John Sherrill. And it was written from 1950. The events took place from 59 to 63, and it was published in 64. So that's 60-some years ago. And you understand, you know, right before the Revolutionary War was Great Awakening, before the Civil War there was another Great Awakening. In the 40s there was the healing movement and the healing revivals. And then in the next great move of God was the charismatic revival and it was centered around the they call it all kinds of things Pentecost the infilling of the Holy Spirit and uh, lots of people coming into the kingdom of God so he writes this book and he starts out intellectually he heard about this phenomenon of speaking in tongues I think he's Episcopalian I don't know Anyway, and so he starts studying, and he wrote for the, he was a writer, he wrote for Guidepost Magazine, and he started researching it, and that's where the book begins. Where the book ends is he's full-blown Pentecostal, okay? So what I did was I just got, it's just interesting because it goes through what they were experiencing at the beginning of this move of God, and they didn't understand what was going on. And that's kind of where we are right now, where there's things are shifting and there's a new move of God, and we don't really understand it. So when you read, what I did was I ordered some. It's excellent. And this is the new, it's been, you know, republished. And I got a deal if I ordered 16 of them. So I got 16. So if 16 doesn't do it, you'll have to share. But just afterwards, just help yourself and take it. I think you'll, free. yeah, they're free. I think, uh, Merry Christmas in July. <laughs> Get a book. Anyway, I think you'll enjoy it. And it just kind of puts in his perspective. And then after he wrote this, then he got involved with David Wilkerson crossing the switchblade. Has anybody ever read cross Dustin? You, this, you got to get this book. Okay. David Wilkerson was a a minister in Pennsylvania, and God laid on his heart to go into the streets of New York and evangelize the drug addicts and the gang members. And it's it's great. Mike is nodding his head yes. 
they also made a movie about it. And David Wilkerson, before he died, happened to pray for a guy named Mario Morello that that mantle would come upon him. And I loved this book when I was young, and I liked it even better now. And it talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and all these things and the miraculous stuff that happened was what's cool. So then I had one more, and I didn't really remember this one this much, but um, it's called Nine O'Clock in the Morning. And it's written, uh, John Sherrill helped write that. He also helped write Hiding Place with Corey Ten Boom. But this was by Dennis Bennett. And Dennis Bennett was a high up in the Episcopalian Church in California. He was a minister, straight-laced. Have, does anybody know about anything about the Episcopalians? We have an Episcopalian church here in town, and we've lived here 30, and I don't think I know anybody that's ever gone to that, uh, that church. I don't know anything about them. The only thing I know about the Episcopalians was when I went to Oral Roberts University on on Wednesdays and Fridays, you had to go to chapel, but on Sunday, you were required to go to church somewhere in Tulsa. They kicked you out of the dorm, and you went to church. And granted, sometimes we went to the first church of Village Inn. <laughs> Village Inn. But what we did, and it really probably wasn't the best, because you really need to get planted in a church. But we were young, and we'd go and experience all these different churches. So we went from Pentecostal, charismatic, um, word of faith. Uh, yeah, we went to um, the first week I was there, there was a big church, and Corey Ten Boom was there ministering. I went to Southern Baptist. I went to a charismatic Catholic. I went to some Methodists. But just north of the ORU campus, about a mile, was an Episcopalian church. And so a bunch of us decided we heard the fact that they used real wine for communion. <laughs> now, I think some of the Lutheran churches here in town, but uh, Methodists, we were teetotalers. You did not have wine. No, my dad wasn't Methodist, though. But... <laughs> Uh, we did not have, we used grape juice for communion, and we thought that was pretty novel, serving wine for communion. So we go to this Episcopalian church one Sunday, and it was pretty full, and it was so full, they ushered us right up to the front row. And yes, they gave communion every week. It was very formal, very rigid, and yes, it was wine. Yeah, they let us take it, and it was wine. And that's all I remember. <laughs> so anyway, but after reading this, he explains a little bit about the Episcopalians, because John Sherrill was Episcopalian too, I believe, and how formal, but they believed in God, and they prayed and all this. And, and about that time, about in the late 50s, early 60s, the charismatic revival was starting up, and people were just getting spirit-filled. And... He was this Episcopalian, and he just got hungry, and he got filled with the Spirit of God. And everybody, a lot of people in the church got filled. And then a lot of the people in the church didn't like it that they got filled. And so he resigned, and he moved to Seattle. And 
time, that church was open. The whole Episcopalian church, they were all spirit-filled, and they had prayer meetings. And it's, it's interesting because all three talk about, at that point in time, the great joy and the excitement and the miraculous things happening. You know, this one, in this one, he told about a story about this guy he met. They would have these weekly Bible studies, and there was this guy he had met, and the church had helped him out. So when he invited this guy to the weekly prayer meeting, the guy felt obliged to go. He was not a believer, but he felt obliged to go. Well, he got there. And they were all sharing about healing, about these healings that had all taken place. And come to find out, this guy had had kidney stones, or so they thought at the time. But it ended up, maybe it was kidney stones and a ruptured appendix, but it was a ruptured appendix. And it was so bad that he got an infection, and it ate holes in his diaphragm. And if you understand the diaphragm, that's what holds your organs up and in place and helps your to breathe. Well, his diaphragm got so destroyed, it just was limp. And his organs, his heart switched to the, uh, fell to the other side. And his organs all dropped down. And to the point where he was big around here and small in his chest. And he was an unbeliever. But he got so hungry after the testimonies, he, he had them pray for him. And he, wasn't, he hadn't even asked Jesus in his heart yet. And all of a sudden, he could start breathing again because he's having trouble breathing because his diaphragm. And he started to get better. It wasn't instantaneous, but he started to get better. And he got, so he kept coming back and he got born again at this point. And he just kept getting better and better. And they said, but there were still holes in the diaphragm. And about it went on for two years because they didn't think he'd live. And after about two years, he was at a, just with some people from the church. And they were praying. And the one guy says, I just got this fire in my hands. Just, and this guy says, well, lay hands on me. Pray for me. And when he did, he said, it's just like something burned on the inside of him. And he stood up. And his pants started to fall off. It was a creative miracle. His body, all this that had dropped down here, all shifted back up. His heart shifted back over where it belonged. His, then the small chest, his coat was too tight. He had to take it off. He had to strap. And, and we think of the, you know, we read about Smith Wigglesworth and the great miracles. But this was just in a home. Just a couple people praying. And so, you know, it's been 60 years. And it was 50 years since I got born again. And But all I did was read this stuff, and there was so much excitement back there, and everybody just expected miracles. And we've kind of gotten where we just kind of let that go. And we got to build that back up again. We got to expect Oral Robert expect a miracle. We got to expect miracles. We got to begin because because that was the charismatic revival, but now and then there was the healing before that, and now this one should be the culmination of them all. So it's going to be unbelievable. Unbelievable shouldn't probably be the word, but it's going to be 
awesome. So let's read in Judges. This really isn't a teaching. This is just an expectation. Get your expectors up. We just got to get our expectors up. So we'll start in verse chapter 7, verse 1. Then Zeribal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose. Wait a minute. I think I'm on the wrong one. Six. It should be six. I was on seven. Six, verse one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves the dens and caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was. Whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come also and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor not nor donkey for they would come up with their livestock in their tents coming in as numerous as locusts they would both both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the house of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed me. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And that's what a couple weeks ago we talked about, that Gideon was hiding in the winepress trying to thresh wheat. He should not have been there. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The wine press is for pressing out wine. And we don't have time to go all through this, but the Bible, you can go through and study, look up in your concordance and look up wine press and wine. And the new wine always represents the Holy Spirit. It represents a move of God and it represents harvest or time of harvest. So they were at a time, a shift, a time of harvest. God was strengthening them, delivering them, and he shouldn't have been trying to just grind out and make bread. It was time for the Holy Spirit. It was time for new wine. So about the 4th of July, well, my mom used to make great jelly, great jelly, and she made a mulberry gooseberry it was his favorite he loved that jelly it was the best my dad and I would go out along the loop canal banks and pick all the wild raspberries and then it takes a lot of wild raspberries to make a batch of jelly because you have to squeeze out all the seeds in the pulp and then you have to get it's a lot of work so she would add gooseberries to it to make it enough so we have a raspberry patch behind the house and I had a good batch this year and I kept trying to save up enough to make jelly. So I'd go out every day and pick some raspberries and bring them in the house and bring, and then we have, instead of gooseberries, I have mulberries that we would add to it. 
and it was a lot. It, it's a lot of work. I mean, you heat them up, you smash them down, you put them. I put them in cheesecloth, strain all that out, and about I was about done making it, and I didn't have quite enough. And here comes Charlie Steiner with a little bag of mulberries that she'd picked for us, and it made just enough. She was led by the Spirit. Yeah, leave it to Charlie. Anyway, so I had enough to make this jelly, and it was about the 4th of July. And for whatever reason, the Battle Hem of the Republic, because it was the 4th of July, kept going through my head. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Okay? And, and so I'm thinking about I had just read in Revelation about the, great, or about the grapes of wrath, And this song was going through my head, and I'm making this jelly. And years ago, we heard a minister. He was from England, and he was an apostolic ministry, great man of God. His name was Bren Jones. And he talked about, we heard him at a minister's conference, and I don't remember the message really, the whole thing, but I remember him saying one thing. When you study and read the Word of God, you need to make sure that you have a clear understanding of the words that are being used, of the terminology. Because you can have wrong thinking because you don't understand the true definition of the word. And, you know, you get somebody like Rick Renner that is a scholar and understands the Greek and the Hebrew. Well, I'm not there, but, you know, you can misunderstand words. And for whatever reason, the word, you know, in the Battle Hymn of the Republic, it doesn't say vintage in... Revelation, but in the Battle Hymn of the Republic, it talks about he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And then you, but you can go through the Bible and it talks, especially in the Old Testament, a lot about vintage. Now, I had a misunderstanding of what vintage meant. And goodness, I should understand what vintage means. I thought it was like chaff. It was like the discard, the throwaway. But vintage in the antique world, that's the good stuff. So you should, I should have understood the vintage is the good stuff. So I started reading this and, and looking into the vintage. Well, the vintage is the good stuff. So when judgment comes, when God judges the evil and the wrong on the earth, he tramples out the grapes and the vintage comes out. So I'm squeezing my cheesecloth to get the wrath of the raspberries out and I'm getting the good stuff in the bowl. So we have coons behind the house. They love the mulberries. And they leave us little piles of wrath of mulberries. <laughs> Which helped me understand it more. Because all it is, that's the waste. Full of seeds, full of waste. That's the unusable, the dis- discarded. So we're in a time and season, you know, of the grapes of wrath, the the evil things are getting squeezed out. And the good, the vintage is going to come forward. And, And I don't think, you know, when we think about the grapes of wrath, and we think, we always tend to think about judgment and harshness and all that, but we've got to realize that in squeezing out those grapes of wrath or mulberries of wrath or whatever it is, 
He's squeezing the vintage. And not just corporately. I think he does it in each one of us. When we go through a pressing, you know, we hate to get pressed financially or or physically. And God doesn't bring those things. But when you get pressed, if you stay with God, stay in the word of God, stay hooked up with the Holy Spirit, it's going to squeeze out those good things. And those things, you know, I squeezed that cheesecloth so hard because I needed enough that I had a little trouble getting my jelly to set up. It was a little thin, but the world is in a point right now it's getting squeezed. And it's a dividing point. It's gonna, the wrath is over here, but we've got to realize the vintage is over here. And the vintage is always where the harvest and the move of God. And you understand the vintage, that good stuff, is what they make the new wine out of. And we are into, we're entering into a season of new wine, a new wine, a new move of the Holy Spirit. And you understand, and you go through and you read about the old wineskins. Old wineskins cannot hold new wine because they're too brittle. But if you take an old wineskin and rub it with a lot of oil, it'll make it supple enough that it can hold that. And that oil has to be the Holy Spirit. So we need to realize that we're in that, we're in that season, and we've got to have our expectors up. We have to have that expectation. And the one thing is, I think one thing I've looked through the years, why has God not been moving in the last 10, 20 years like he did there? And I think it came to a point, there's a lot of reasons, but people began seeking an experience. They were seeking God. We've got to seek the God of the experience, not the experience of the God. If we seek God, we'll get the experience, and it'll be a pure and true move of God. But we've got to make sure that we take this time and seek God and get that Holy Spirit oil rubbed on us so that we're good new wineskins. So all I wanted to do tonight was just encourage you. We are on the verge of some of the most exciting. There have been things just in the last two, three weeks are exciting things, and they're little things, and sometimes we overlook them. In those books, I get such a They never overlooked anything. Everything was just so joyous and so exciting, and they were just bubbling over with it. And I, it was funny because... When I the, that last book, I opened it up and I saw in there the person that had given that to me was that woman minister from Monroe that laid hands on everybody, and she was just—I have told you before—she was just so simple in her faith. But Gertrude West, their faith was so simple and it was so basic. But she was just always so full of joy, so overflowing over. And just the the thing is, if you read those books, you realize that we've learned a lot in this last 60 years. So there's things they didn't, under, we should understand and experience. They didn't even understand back then. 
But that's what we're at. We're entering into some things we aren't really going to totally understand till we get through a little bit. But that's why you got to know God instead of just the experience. You got to know the God of the experience because He'll keep you on track. And I'm just, I'm so excited. I just, reading those books from 60 years ago and know that we're into a new thing like that, it just makes me so excited. And so I just want to encourage you, be be awake and be alert and be watchful because God's on the move. I want to pray. I want you to be in agreement with me. Go ahead and put that up there and get that ready. Then when we're done praying, we're going to read this declaration that was written by Dutch Sheets, I believe. Put it together. And Joni handed this out last night. We can make copies and you can get a copy of it. But tonight I want to pray for Mary Jane. Mary Jane was diagnosed with cancer and they took part of her colon, then a couple of her lymph nodes. So now she's getting, I talked to her today and she's getting chemo, which she was, her white count wasn't where it should be. And so they'll give her, but it's come up. She said she, she feels better and she'll get it next week. Um, she just wants everybody to stay positive. Don't think the worst. Stay in faith. Amen. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure and do that. And then I want to pray after that, I'm going to pray and I'm going to come against infirmity. I've dealt with it and uh, I know Brian has and Dennis and, and Pat and some others. And you don't have to receive that. Jesus died on the cross. He bore our sin, but he also bore our sickness and disease. And so, but you have to appropriate that. You have to use your authority in the name of Jesus and come against that. So, Father, tonight, in the name of Jesus Christ, I lift up Mary Jane Osborne to you. I curse cancer, every cancer cell in her body. I command it to die, to go in Jesus' name. I command her white blood count to rise and stay risen in Jesus' name. I command the strength of God to come upon her spirit, soul, and body. Fear, discouragement we bind and loose faith, hope, and peace upon her. The peace of God to guard her heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We plead the blood of Christ over Mary Jane Osborne. We say no weapon formed against her shall prosper in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. You are a healing God. And we send a healing word to her this night in Jesus' name. Now, I take authority. The authority that we have in, in Christ I bind the spirit of infirmity from coming against this body of believers in Jesus' name. We give you no place. We command you to cease and desist in your maneuvers against God's chosen people in Jesus' name. And we lose healing, health, supernatural recovery, strength in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. 
Healing is the children's bread, and we are your children. So, Father, we believe it. We have a covenant of healing and health. We receive it, and we appropriate it this night in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. So we're going to go through. This is the Watchman Decree. Let's say it together. As a patriot of faith, I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission... Secondly, I agree to be a watchman over our nation concerning its people and their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We, the church, are God's governing body on the earth. We have been given legal power and authority from heaven. We are God's ambassadors and spokespeople over the earth. Through the power of God, we are his world influencers. Because of our covenant with God, we are equipped and delegated by him to destroy every attempted advance of the enemy. We decree that America's executive branch will honor God and defend the Constitution. We decree that our legislative branch, Congress, will write only laws that are righteous and constitutional. We decree that our judicial system will issue rulings that are biblical and constitutional. We declare that we stand against wokeness, the occult, and every evil attempt against our nation. We declare that we now take back our God-given freedoms according to our Constitution. We declare that we take back influence at the local level in our communities. We decree that we take back and permanently control positions of influence and leadership In each of the seven mountains, we decree that the blood of Jesus covers and protects our nation. It protects and separates us from God. We declare that our nation is energy independent. We declare that America is strong spiritually, financially, militarily, and technologically. We decree that evil carries no power, authority, or rights in our land, nor over people. We decree that we will operate in unity going beyond denominational lines in order to accomplish the purposes of God for our nation. And we decree that America shall be saved. Norfolk shall be saved. Amen. Amen. So we're going to say that for a while because the Bible says in Job, declare and decree a thing. And it shall be established for you, and light will shine upon your pathway. Amen? Where are the books so they can pick them up? If they want one, you can come up here. Anything else? Watch where you step tonight, because he did put some, fixed a, a hole out there, and one of the scooters already went over it. Yes, sir. No. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Is that on? Can you find it on YouTube or? It's Flashpoint. Okay. I'll look for it. Yeah. Cause I got it recorded. Amen. Thank you. Well, God bless you. Come expecting Sunday. Amen.